Welcome to the Men's Alliance podcast. I'm David Mills. Men's Alliance is a growing movement out of Richmond, Virginia, where tribes of men meet in person weekly for an epic outdoor workout and a real world devotion around a fire. We're bringing men out of isolation, out of their comfort zones, and into something real. Hey guys, this is Dave Mills with the Men's Alliance podcast. And today we thought we would do something a little different and actually just play a live recording from a men's breakfast that I spoke at last Saturday. So I recorded this. Uh, The audio is going to be a little bit different as you're going to hear in just a second. Sounds a little different, but it's also, I think, going to be pretty fun uh, with with an audience in this podcast episode. So I wanted to share this with you guys because I believe it's really important, right? It's, it's my one message that if I just have one time to speak to, to you, to any other man in this country, this is what I have to say. So I hope you enjoy it. I don't know if you guys know this, you probably do. Like Pastor Brandon was saying, this is rare. This is unique. And I want you to stop for a second this morning and just realize and appreciate the fact of the kind of church that you're in. The kind of church you're in right now is rare, unfortunately. But we've got people that don't know what a man is. We've got people that don't know how to define man, don't know how to define woman. I want you to know that you are in a church that knows how to define a man and a woman and brings 350 men together for a men's breakfast. So I'm just excited to be in a church that is this bold and is this unapologetic. So that kind of just gets me fired up. So my grandpa was a vacuum cleaner salesman. He went door to door selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. I don't know how he did it. That's the most terrifying job in the world in my opinion. As a kid growing up, every single year for uh, summer vacation, we went to the beach. There was never a question. We never thought about where we going for vacation this year. Every year, we went to Granny and Grandpa's house at Myrtle Beach. That was just normal. And, you know, whatever you do when you're a kid is normal because you think it's what everybody does. So it wasn't until I got older that I started thinking, how on earth... Did a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman have a beach house at Myrtle Beach? And I don't know. Either he was an incredible vacuum cleaner salesman, or he might have been selling something else that we'll never know about. I don't know. But that's, that's my memory of my summer vacations with my grandpa. And uh, the story that my dad passed on to me uh, about my grandpa The family story is that one day my grandpa was walking up on a porch to sell a vacuum cleaner and there was an elderly lady sitting on a rocking chair on that porch. The dog laying down beside her and he walked up on the porch and he says, good morning. Does your dog bite? She says, no, my dog doesn't bite. And my grandpa reaches down to pet this dog and this dog clamps on, just latches onto his hand, sinks his teeth in. My grandpa wrestles his hand free, looks at the lady and says, you said your dog didn't bite. She said, yeah, that's not my dog. (laughs) My grandpa, I mean, my dad used to tell that joke and he always laughed 
louder than anyone he told it to. And now I know how he feels. I know how my dad feels. So, um, an author and military historian by the name of Dave Grossman has written in several books that there's, there's three types of people in the world. Three types of people. The first type is sheep. First type of people in the world is the sheep. And sheep make up the majority, the vast majority of people in the world. And they're good people. There's nothing wrong with being sheep. It's not derogatory. Sheep are people who, they go to work every day. They come home, they eat dinner, they're raising families. <clears throat> Second type of person in the world is wolves. Right? Wolves exist. And wolves exist to kill and harm and inflict damage on sheep. Sheep don't like to acknowledge that wolves exist because that's not a thought they want to entertain, so they just prefer to not think about it. We saw a wolf last week in Texas, right? Wolves are terrorists, murderers, right? We all know one when we see one. But there's a third type of person in the world, right? And that's sheepdogs, right? And sheepdogs, they love sheep. Isn't that a great picture? They love sheep. They hang out with them. They live with them. They eat their meals with them. But they're not sheep. They're wired differently, right? They're made a little different. They're not pretending that there's no wolves. They're well aware of the wolves, and they're keeping their eyes out, and they're remaining vigilant for them. And kind of like the wolf, the sheepdog also has powerful jaws and sharp teeth, and it's also designed to fight, but it uses its skills and its design to protect the sheep that it loves and lives with. Kind of like that watchdog on that lady's front porch, right? <laughs> Being a good guard dog, I believe that Paul in Ephesians calls us as Christian men to be spiritual sheepdogs in our families, in our communities, our neighborhoods, our churches, our countries, right? As Christian men, we need to be the sheepdogs, right? We're well aware of the wolves. We're keeping an eye out for them. We love our families and we're here to protect them spiritually, okay? So... <clears throat> This summer is a unique transition time in my family, all right? So uh, for those of you that don't know me, I've been in the Air Force for 20 years, and I actually get out of the Air Force next month. So in just a few weeks, we're transitioning. Thanks. Our family is going through a transition period, right? We're excited about closing one chapter. It's been a great one. Um, and turning the page to a new chapter that God is writing even now. But in my time in the Air Force, I've learned some valuable lessons that I believe I can share to make us all better spiritual sheepdogs. Okay? So for my first um, 11 years in, I navigated reconnaissance jets. Okay? And it was big. Ugly, Boeing, four-engine aircraft that don't do anything cool upside down, right? Just flying in circles for hours and hours and hours over battlefields, supporting 
the troops on the ground who were fighting, right? And we were there to support and help them. And in, in that context, I want to share with us today three things that will make us better spiritual sheepdogs. The first point is this. One degree matters. All right? That's a compass rose. And I want everybody to take out their phone right now. Take out your phone and open up the compass app. That compass app that never gets used. We're using it today. Got to give you a second to find that one. All right, if you've got a compass app on your phone, I'm going to ask you to stand up. If you have a compass app, open that up, stand up. I want to make a little demonstration. Everybody hold that phone kind of down here, waist level, nice and steady, and get it to read 5-0. Everybody face heading 5-0. All right. You can see a lot of you are, so I'll keep going. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a right turn to a heading of 5-1. Go ahead, turn right to a heading of 5-1. Why isn't anybody moving? All right, did you do it? Yeah. Okay, then turn back left to 5-0. Okay, now turn right again to 5-1. You guys do it, man. I don't see anybody moving. What's the point of this? One degree is small. It's, it's hard to even turn one degree. If you, if you breathe wrong, you turn five degrees, right? Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you. So here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing about that. It's a very small movement here. Very small movement right here to move one degree. But in aviation, there's something called a 60 to 1 rule. And um, if two guys here, I'll pick on uh, Connor. Where are you at, Connor? Right here. All right. So if Connor and uh, Ken, if they start walking together, and Connor's walking a heading of 5 1, and Ken's walking 5 0, it is going, they're going to be shoulder to shoulder, right? They're going to be right beside each other for a long time. They're going to be walking together. They're going to be talking, laughing, joking. They could be in the same small group. And to everyone looking on, it's going to look like they're on the same course. It'll look like they're doing life together. But if they travel for just 60 miles, just 60 miles down the road from here, on a heading of 5-1 and a heading of 5-0, they're going to be a mile apart. In 60 miles, the difference between 5-0 and 5-1 become a mile apart. They will no longer see each other or hear each other. And it'll be hard to remember when they really lost touch, when they really lost contact, because it's going to happen slowly, but it's going to happen over time. So, men, every single day of our lives, we have to make sure that we are not slipping one degree off course. We can't tolerate drifting even one degree. And it's so easy to rationalize one degree. And here's what one degree looks like. Here's what being off course one degree in your life looks like. It looks like looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. Texting someone you shouldn't be texting. Uh, drinking a little too much. 
self-medicating with something that is unhealthy, right? That's a degree here, a degree, a degree, a degree. And it's easy to rationalize. We, we do it all the time. We say, this is not a big deal. I'm still right beside everybody in my small group. I'm still traveling in the right direction. It's just one degree. It's no big problem. But what's going to happen is you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to be a mile away from the man that you wanted to be. You're going to be miles away from the husband and the father and the man that you wanted to be and that God designed you to be. And you won't know how you got so far off course. See, we don't ruin our lives by making one big drastic 180, right? We ruin our lives by tolerating one degree. We tolerate one degree, it'll take us miles off course. So Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says that the way is narrow, right? I'm gonna gonna say the course, the heading is very narrow that leads to life and few will find it, right? And that's why it's so important for us to never be the spiritual sheepdogs in our families that allow ourselves to start slipping one degree at a time. Second lesson from aviation that I want to apply this morning to make us better spiritual sheepdogs is this. Refueling is mission essential. All right, refueling is mission essential. It's not a nicety. Right? It's not an extra bonus if we get to it, if we have time, we'll refuel. No, it's absolutely mission essential. So that beautiful airplane with the long black nose that looks like Snoopy is an RC-135. And the back end of that plane is full of linguists. It's full of linguists at computer stations in the back. And the pilots and the navs, we just take them to work. And we get them over the battlefields of Afghanistan or Iraq. And then they are working and talking with and communicating with and supporting troops on the ground. And I was in that aircraft on a combat mission when all of our lights and indicators went off, letting us know that we had a fuel leak. And you can look out the window and see from the right wing fuel just streaming out of the right wing into the air. And quickly, you start isolating fuel tanks and turning off pumps and doing the math to see if you can get back with what's in the other tanks, right? But one thing becomes really clear at that moment. It doesn't matter if you're in a $350 million jet. It doesn't matter if you've got all the latest gadgets and gizmos on board and a lot of really smart people in the back of the plane. If you run out of gas, you're useless to everyone who's counting on you, right? I think that we face a problem in our, in our culture right now where men are not refueling, right? And here's what refueling can look like in your day-to-day life. Refueling looks like rest. It looks like taking a Sabbath. Refueling also looks like going mountain biking at Pocahontas by yourself or kayaking in the James River by yourself, right? We need to be better at what counselors call self-care, 
right? Because we will just run out of gas thinking that we're being super noble husbands and fathers that just sacrifice everything and just pour ourselves into our family. Well, guess what? Just like that aircraft, if you run out of gas, you're not going to be any good to them, right? So as men, we've got to get better at this and we've got to find out what recharges us, what refuels us, right? It also looks like this. It looks like being in a small group. That's refueling. A men's group. Let me just say that. Men need to be in men's groups. All right? It's great to be in another one. If you want to be in a couple's one, that's fine. But you better make sure you're in a men's group. Because if there's a woman in the group, let's be real here. None of us are going to be honest. We're not sharing our struggles. Right? We're all going to start pretending like we don't have any problems. And we're going to just wind up talking about the game. Right? So men need a men's group. That's one of the ways that I refuel every week. And we've got to remind ourselves that it's mission essential. You don't just go to your men's group when you feel like it. Right? It's a, lot of, it's a lot of trouble. It's a lot of pain to locate and get behind that tanker. Right? But it's worth it. It's that or run out of gas. Right? So let's be men who understand that to be spiritual sheepdogs in our families... Refueling is mission essential. Guys, my third and final point is this. Don't trust your feelings. So every year, roughly 8% of aviation mishaps are due to something called controlled flight into terrain. Controlled flight into terrain is the category that an aircraft mishap falls under when a perfectly healthy, current, qualified, proficient, trained pilot flies a perfectly good airplane with nothing mechanically wrong with it into the ground. And that's called control flight into terrain. And here's how that happens. Control flight into terrain takes place usually at night or in really bad weather when you've lost all visual cues, visual references, you have none. You're flying in some sort of milky darkness or clouds. And what happens is the pilot flying the aircraft will feel with every single one of his senses that he is absolutely certain that he is flying straight and level. It's an overwhelming sensation. Like we all know we're all sitting in chairs right now. We know what it feels like when we're sitting Right? We think we know what it feels like when we're climbing or descending or turning left or right. Our senses, our feelings, they're not as good as we think they are. And this is a very chilling fact that the last words from a lot of pilots on a lot of cockpit voice recorders are, my altimeter's broken. I think there's something wrong with this altimeter. They'll say something like that. And those were the last words before they crashed. You see, there was nothing wrong with that altimeter. There comes a moment when a pilot has to choose which source he wants to listen to. Does he want to listen to his feelings? Or does he want to listen to that flight instrument right in front of him that says you're descending? Right? And that's a very tough moment. That's a tough decision to choose to ignore all of your feelings 
that they've been right so far in life and they got you to where you are so far in life. But now you're telling me, ignore my feelings and just listen to this instrument in front of me or this voice, right, in my headset saying too low terrain, too low terrain. And guys will just turn that thing off. This thing's broken. It's not calibrated correctly. And they'll flip that voice off. Right? So Jeremiah 17.9 tells us this. It tells us that the heart is the most wicked of all things. The heart is the most wicked of all things. Who really knows how bad it is? Right? And Matthew 7 echoes that. Right? It says that out of the heart comes all evil. All manner of evil flows out of the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. Who knows how bad it is? That's the message that this flight instrument has for us. This flight instrument is saying, don't follow your feelings. Don't follow your heart. But we live in a culture that's telling us that. In fact, every Disney movie you bought for your daughter says, follow your heart. That is what culture is teaching us, right? And if we take that advice... We're going to crash. All right. Um, One of the ways that looks in real life, following your feelings, following your heart, that looks in real life. It looks like chasing happiness. If we think the goal of life is happiness, we're going to chase all kinds of unhealthy things. We're going to think the grass is greener in a different relationship, right? In a different house. We're going to be chasing that, and that's making decisions based on feelings, right? By the way, I want to add something to this about feelings. This also applies to the truth of Christianity, right? Think about this. If you became a Christian because the way it made you feel, because maybe it offered you a warm, fuzzy feeling or a promise of a better um, life quality or happiness or whatever. If you, if you came into Christianity because of a feeling, then you're on very thin ice because when that feeling goes away, you're going to turn your back on Christianity, right? This is why if we have a feelings uh, base, a feelings foundation in our lives, we're very vulnerable. It's like 70% of Christian kids who go to college exit college saying they're no longer Christians. That tells me they went in with it based on feelings. They weren't basing it on truth. They weren't basing it on a reliable, objective flight instrument outside of their own head that they could trust when they're flying through a storm, when they're flying in the dark. We need something that we can calibrate our compass to, that even when we're lost and we don't see the way ahead, we can just trust on the instruments in front of us. You see, Christianity never promises to make you feel good. Never promises happiness. We were following, I was having a great conversation with somebody this morning, like we literally signed up. If you're a Christian, you have signed up to follow a man who was nailed to a cross and whose message was follow me, whose message was the world will hate you the way it's hated me. His message was in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So we need to be flying with our eyes wide open, right? Uh, we're not Christians because it feels good or it works. We're Christians because in the spring of AD 33, a man who had been dead and buried came back to life, right? That's why we're Christians.
Guys, I just want to leave us with these three final thoughts in a summary, right? As men, we ought to be the sheepdogs, protecting and guiding those around us in our homes and in our communities, right? We need to be leaders. We need to be getting off the sideline, like Pastor Brandon said, and getting in the game and engaging the enemy, right? And the three ways we do that, right? We've got to not tolerate one degree off course in our lives. We've got to recognize that refueling is mission essential. We, we don't just do it at the end of the week if there's time left in the schedule. No, we prioritize it and we make sure that we are always topping off our tanks so that we are 100% there in the lives of our families. And then lastly, we don't trust in our feelings, right? We trust in this flight instrument, right? When we're flying through storms. Guys, that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much. If you'll, uh, Visit mensalliancetribe.com to find a tribe near you, or maybe you're the man to start one in your area. So check us out at mensalliancetribe.com. I hope to see you around the fire soon.